Good morning. Like I said earlier, you're the only one here. So I had the most beautiful congregation. I want to get that on tape. <laughs> this morning, uh, we're going to be taking a break from the study in Genesis. Uh, we'll be picking it back up with uh, the death of Sarah and Abraham looking for a burial plot. And from there, uh, moving on into uh, uh, finding a wife for Isaac. And these are some good stories. And uh, uh, this message has kind of been rolling around in my heart and head is not a message, but more of just considering and stewing on the word and just a, a verse that keeps popping back up in my heart and mind as life goes on, modern life goes on. But the title of uh, this morning's message is Do Not Remove the Ancient Landmarks. Do Not Remove the Ancient Landmarks. And we're going to be looking at Proverbs 22, verse 28. Proverbs 22, 28. If you're to look around, even just out the window, there's a lot of things moving in our modern world. We see cars going by. Uh, even the Bible foretold these last days that people move to and fro on the face of the earth. When I travel back and forth for work, I'm always amazed at how many airplanes there are, how many people there are getting in them and going somewhere else and, and lives moving. And I'm, I'm only seeing a tiny fraction of what goes on every day and how many people are in the air and in cars and, and going places. But with that mobility, that's not the only thing that's changing in our modern world. Terms are changing. Uh, I remember in high school and first hearing about political correctness and the things that have become politically correct over the past 20 or 30 years, uh, or even last century, um, for right or wrong. Some are good and some are bad. You know, racism, bad. Treating people differently because of their skin color or their nationality, bad. Those things are bad, but some of the other things that have changed that have been uh, changed in term and sort of the, uh, in a sense, like thought police and word police, you can say or, or do certain things, even if you don't mean it, hatefully, uh, people are offended by it. Even in politics, uh, I remember growing up and having uh, a teacher who is a staunch Democrat, admittedly, and yet she uh, would just espouse her views and teach the political, uh, the politics class that we had. It was during the Clinton administration and during the whole impeachment. And instead of doing the book, she uh, had us watch the news and talk about those events. Um, but you know what? I never felt hated by her if I didn't agree with her. I never felt distance from her. In fact, she was one of my favorite teachers, even though she was one of the harder teachers. Um, I think because she was fair. You know, even then, the term liberal has been replaced by the term progressive, as if to say that being liberal and free with government funds or whatever the term wanted to be, um, it somehow needs to be tied to progress, that somehow socialism is progress. And yet, I think if you look at the 20th century, you might find that socialism is far from it. Conservatives, too, if we look at the political spectrum over the past hundred years, have moved far left. A conservative, someone who you might consider a conservative today, is far more left in a lot of their ideals than someone um, 20 years ago or 50 years ago. And even then, those who are truly conservative are now labeled as far right, somehow trying to lump someone in who is just a fan of conservatism and the Constitution 
is now somehow lumped in with someone who is perhaps a neo-Nazi or some other hate group. While I've brought up a lot of political issues already in this message, and it might reveal, reveal some of my political stance, at its heart, this isn't meant to be a political message. In fact, I'm glad that there's no politics season going on right now, that there might be some distance from that. Because ultimately, I believe what I believe politically because I believe what I believe spiritually. And I think that's probably the same for those who would call themselves Christians and those who would call themselves atheists. It's based on what they believe. And hopefully this message will allow us to consider what the Word of God says and how even though the Bible has not changed over millennia, yet if possible, if possible, I believe it is somehow more relevant today than even yesterday. I know that's not the case. I know it's just as relevant to yesterday as it is today, but when you look at the changing world and changing times that we're in, the progress, quote-unquote, that we're seeing, I find that the Scripture rings true and is brighter and clearer than ever before. And with that, Father, we want your light to shine on us this morning. We want to see you through all of this, that even if this message is hard or difficult or just topical in a way that is not as much a Bible study as it is a practical life study based on your word. God, may we see you and may you be evident in it and speak to us and give us strength for these last days that other people might be able to come and cling to you and stand on a rock that is higher than I. And we love you, God, and we thank you for that by your spirit. Bless all those who are listening here and hopefully on the internet. In Jesus' name, amen. But we're looking at Proverbs today and, and I love the Proverbs. I'm foolish. I don't know the Proverbs as well as I should, but I have poured over them for, for years of my Christian life. They've been my devotional um, countless times. Uh, and it helps me to see how foolish I am. It reminds me that uh, I am unwise. But many of them were written by King Solomon. Uh, you know, David's son uh, from Bathsheba. You remember the story there that, wow, God can still use these situations. And others, there's uh, Lemuel, Agor, etc., and other wise sayings that come down. But, you know, King Solomon wrote the most of these. And I, I have to believe that at least some of his father's advice made it through to him. Um, we see that uh, in other areas of Scripture of Proverbs, it talks about hanging on to your father and mother's advice. So I'm sure that if he was being wise, he hung on to some good advice from his dad, King David. Uh, but Proverbs 1, 1 through 10 says, The Proverbs, I'm not going to read all of it, the Proverbs of Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. These things, prudence, knowledge, discretion, to increase learning, to attain wise counsel and understanding, I think a lot of people would agree today. People love watching TED Talks and other videos on YouTube, with millions of views of, of learning new things and things that are pointless, such as why is Nickelodeon Studios closed down or things that are really interesting is how they handle space flight and how they throw this object in space and it orbits around and bounces off different you know gravity wells from different planets and eventually gets to this point in space it's amazing it's interesting to learn these things and we want wise counsel 
And I believe the world would say that all these things are good things. But the question is, what defines them? Who tells you which counsel is good and which counsel is bad? And what truly is good? And what is truth? And as in the garden, when Satan said to Eve, did God really say? I believe the attack always starts on our definition of God. Is he the authority? And is he even real? Because if he's not real, he's not an authority. And I think that's the easiest way to debunk someone's authority is to say that they don't, they're not real. They don't have any power. Like it or not, whatever you think of the current president or past presidents, they are and were a president. And you think that there's a reason why it's good to uphold the office, whether you respect the person or not, because they do have the power. And even if you try and disrespect the power, they're still in power. But if you look back a couple centuries ago to Darwinism, this idea that God didn't create everything, but that life spontaneously came together through an ooze and melted and evolved and the survival of the fittest. It was really all about Darwin being disillusioned with God and trying to prove to himself that God wasn't real and he didn't need the authority of God. When he rejected God, he began to listen to other spirits, I believe. Sure, there are changes within a species. Just look at dogs, look at cats. But a dog will never become a cat, no matter how many millions of years you have. And even then, what I always loved in high school, I wasn't even a believer then, but I asked my biology teacher, well, if plant and animal cells are completely different, which one came first? And how do they both spontaneously evolve? I never could get an answer. And even if you have an answer for me, I know how they came to be. But you realize how this began to, to it didn't start with the arguments and politics of today. It started with several hundred years ago, eroding the foundation of all human thought in the West that God created everything. And Proverbs 1 goes on in verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon says, My son, hear the instruction of your father. And I have a feeling King David said that to Solomon, his son. And do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. You will be graciously decked out in fancy uh, ornaments and, and crowns, my son and my daughter. If sinners entice you, do not consent. It says that the fool says in her heart, his heart, there is no God. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. How do I know? Well, the Bible says it. But also, I was a teenager. And I despised plenty of wisdom and plenty of instruction. No, I can do this my own way. No, I don't need to show up and I can handle it my own and I'll forge my own way. But man, if I just listened to some instruction, if I just paid attention a little more, if I just listened to my mom and dad a little more, even if we didn't always have the best relationship, they still had wisdom for me. And so much of the modern world rages against wisdom, against instruction, instead forging their own path, thinking that they are rebels, that using this teen angst of rebellion to stand up against some authority that they believe is unjust, standing up for a cause which is the right thing, but not realizing what cause they are truly standing up for. 
when they in fact are simply raging against wisdom itself and at the end of the day wondering why they are hurting, lost, addicted, broken, have no jobs and college debt, and truly not getting what they want and need out of life no matter how much they fight for it. And this verse has been echoing louder and louder in my heart and mind over the past few years. Proverbs 22, 28. To read it together. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. I believe a lot of our modern ailments and concurrent societal unraveling have direct roots in this very verse. In this piece of wisdom that doesn't mention God, doesn't talk about Jesus, could be written somewhere else and someone might not even find it in the Bible. But it is. And I think it's a foundation of Scripture. Because this piece of wisdom tells us explicitly to avoid this thing. On his face, it's talking about land boundaries, fences, property lines. Remember when we lived in New York, uh, they started putting in a road next to where we rented and the road was going to go back and around. They're going to put a whole bunch of new houses. So they had to send out guys who surveyed and could find out the exact property lines with GPS and angles and all that stuff that they know about. But I remember always watching them and seeing how far they were encroaching on our property, even though I was just renting and it wasn't my land. Well, are you really going to mark it there? And they put up some marks in the back and they looked in the back and I remember seeing property lines on Google. And I was a bit, you know, flustered. I felt really bad for the guy we rented the house from, a nice man, but now that, you know, I wonder what the value of the house is going to be when they put this road right next to it. You know, we didn't own land that went too far back, but it seemed like it because it butted up against woods and now they cut out all these trees. You can see the road. But I was always paying attention to these guys. They had to be very specific about where they marked the land because they couldn't encroach on someone else's property. They had to be within their own property. And there was also someone I knew in Maryland who had neighbors who were constantly fighting over their property lines. They wanted to put up a fence and they couldn't put it over here. They could over here and it cost this much money to, to put up, uh, to get a site survey done. Because this is your land, you paid for it. You don't want it messed with, stolen, taken even an inch. And the problem it causes you know, I think the more neighborly you are, you know, you set up basic property lines, but if your neighbor kind of wanders in your land and you wander in theirs, if it's big and open, it's probably not the big a deal. But if they kind of move the fence over 10 feet and began using that land to feed their cattle or to grow crops, well, that would begin to cause strife and cause problems. They're now taking income away from you and using it for them, and they never earned it and they never owned it. It was never in their family. And many wars have been caused over simply that. Boundaries of states and political places. There's still places on the map where people are unsure of who it belongs to. In fact, along the southern border, uh, the federal government is looking to put up a wall. But there are landowners there. And if you believe certain reports, you'll hear that some of these landowners are upset that their land is being taken for a wall. And if you believe other reports, there are others that are glad that there's a wall going up there. You know, for me, if, if, if I believe the wall was pointless 
And if it was just a government land grab, I'd be upset they'd be taking my land and livelihood. Um, and I'm sure that there are some cases like that where it really would encroach on them or put them on the wrong side of the wall, even perhaps due to geographical uh, limitations. I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of that wall. I'd want to be on the right side of the wall. But if I'm a landowner and there's people illegally using my land, I don't care if they're citizens or not, wherever they're from, if they're doing illegal things on my property, I want them off my property. If the federal government wants to put up a wall, well, so be it. I'd be livid. I wouldn't be happy about having to lose land to a fence, but it's better to lose a little bit of land to a fence than to lose it to drug trafficking or human trafficking or even just trespassing. You know, how often uh, do you see a no trespassing sign? It's one of the things in hunter safety they always teach you about is to make sure that you're on the right land, that the landowner is fine with you being there if you're on private property. I learned an interesting fact, uh, it was either about Oregon or Washington, I guess I should find out before I go there, but th they have rules where you don't have to put up a sign no, about no trespassing, that you can just be cited for trespassing for being on the wrong piece of land. And I think that makes sense in some ways, in other ways it's like, well, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> Excuse me. You know, farming rights, it's your business. Things like copyrights are legal grounds. It's your livelihood. You know, Hollywood makes a big to-do about copyrights, but you know what? They spent the money to make it. So if you're stealing it, well, that's how they make their money, and that provides people with jobs as a whole industry. Now, is that industry moral and, you know, maybe it's a fruit of what they, you know, society, you know, that's a whole other argument. But the point is, is that it's someone else's property and you're moving the landmark. I remember uh, being little in Florida and we'd go visit my grandparents and there was a radio tower in one place and then there was a, a cement uh, plant near my house and those were always the landmarks. I'd look and oh there's an ice cream shop and that was a landmark to know where we were on the trip. That's important to have those landmarks to know where your property ends and someone else's begins. To know, to know where there are boundaries in life that are good. Boundaries are not bad. Sure, things like the Berlin Wall, a bad wall because it was a boundary between two ideals, two ideologies. One of communism and one of democracy, one of freedom and one of dictatorship. And I'm glad that Mr. Gorbachev tore down that wall. But I think when that wall came down, more ideology came, came with it than went the other way. We look at problems with social security and pensions and other funds that there's not enough money to pay for it, that people were promised a half and more a century ago that they would have social security, but it's been underdelivered. But I have to take a step back and say, why should the federal government be anyone's safety net? Was there a failure before that that demanded social security? What happened to the old ways? Were they erased by the Industrial Revolution? Of having land, of keeping that land in your family, of taking care of your elders. That in the past, people would stay in the same place, they would have a family, they would raise it, and the parents would grow old and you'd take care of your parents. And yeah, people moved and things expanded and everything, but not so much like the 20th century to where people's lives were not tied down to a location anymore, but people would move based on work and leave family behind. And we've had to do that, but we know that God's called us to do that. And more on that later. We're taking care of your elders. You know, I had a good friend in high school 
who was a first-generation American along with his brother. His family had emigrated from Korea in, during the 60s, I believe. I saw bits and pieces of the old world culture in his home, in their uh, Korean culture, and, the needed, and the, the needed respect for parents and grandparents. I've heard over the years how elders were cared for and honored in ways that just aren't done in our culture. And perhaps it was overly strict, I don't know. And I'm not saying it's neither right or wrong, it's just their culture. But would we need Social Security and the federal government or an old age home to take care of our parents if we just kept the land that they had, the businesses that they passed down, if we were just content to continue on in the family business? Perhaps we might take care of our parents when they're old. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying hospice or medical care or options or moving or, you know, not being a car salesman like my dad was is a bad choice. But the point is, I'm making is that the general mindset seems to be in our, in our culture, the prevailing winds of change is that parents will be dumped somewhere else, that they're their own problem. They're not my problem. And children tend to fight over not having to care for them. And now I'm making a sweeping generalization and there are plenty of great people who take care of their family and others who just can't and they need help. And that's fine, but I'm trying to, to point out the undercurrent in the culture. And I think we can agree that that seems to be the majority. And I don't want my parents to be in bad health or in poverty. And even if it's their fault and they gamble all their money away, at the end of the day, they're still my parents. And I hope to provide for them in some way. Because shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? I hope that I'm in a place financially, and even if I'm not, I hope that there's room enough in my house for a parent or a family member to stay if they need it. But I don't know. Our culture has become dependent on someone else, on saying someone else will take care of this problem. I have enough problems, I don't need this problem. It gets in the way of me having what I want. I think our priorities have shifted. Our priorities have moved and changed. Proverbs 17, 6 says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. And man, grandchildren are important. The children, man, if children glory in things, they should glory in their parents and say, well, no matter how good or bad your parents are, hopefully they're a good example. But if they are, man, what a glory it is. I remember respecting, you know, my uh, friend's parents growing up and thinking, well, you know, my friend so-and-so's got a good dad. He's got his own business. He helps his, his son. He's, you know, I remember thinking of those things. I have a good dad, too, but I'm saying, you know, if we can look on at other people's lives and see that. I have a great dad, a great brother, a great sister, a great mother. Proverbs 13.22a says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Saying that if you're, if you're good, you're going to leave an inheritance not only to your own kids, but to your grandkids. Sure, that can mean money in your will. But I think it could also mean um, a legacy passed on. A legacy of loving the Lord. A legacy of being a hard worker. A legacy of working with your hands. A legacy of whatever that work with your hands is, whether it's accounting or whether it's a carpenter, but a legacy of, man, let me pass this on to my kids, a legacy of spending time with them. 
that they would even know their grandparents if there wasn't age or time or distance at all possible between them. You know, it's not direct, but it's not only providing for our children, but our grandchildren. Spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, all these things are an important inheritance to be passed on that they might be benefited. But when we look at culture today, we see that there is a backlash against anyone with these things. That somehow you're wrong for having the privilege of a nuclear family. The privilege of having grandparents in your life. The privilege of having a dad or a mom who started a business and you followed in their footsteps. Or having an inheritance to them. Now I get the idea of being born with a silver spoon in your mouth and there are rich and spoiled brats on this earth, young and old alike. But is it wrong to have something passed on to you? To get a job because your parents started the business? Is it not jealousy? Is it not that you, you are just jealous that someone else has a good family and perhaps you didn't? Or someone else's parents were a little wiser than your parents? Are you just jealous because you did not get the iPhone that you wanted? Like James says, where do wars and fights come from? Is it not from your selfish desires? You know, granted again, not everything is good. Not all privilege is good. But what I'm saying is, why has it become that privilege or inheritance or having a solid family become wrong across the board? I believe I know why. But you know what? I want my kids to have blessings that I didn't have or don't have. And I had a great childhood. I had, I had toys. I had a nice house. I was taken care of. My parents got divorced and, you know, we had some hardships there. And I want that most of all for my family and my kids. I want my, my kids, no matter what we have physically, to know that their parents love Jesus. And to be honest, that's sometimes what keeps me going in the Lord is, I got to do because of my kids. No matter what else, everything else happens, it looks like, I have to because I need my kids to be cared for spiritually. It's no one else's responsibility but my own. But you know what? I also want them to have the things I had as a kid. That's why I got them that Super Nintendo Classic. Not only do I like playing it with them, I don't really like playing it so much on my own, you know, it loses its luster. But I want them to enjoy the things I enjoyed as a kid. But I also want them to have their own enjoyment, the things that they like. Dress-ups and Lightning McQueens and all these things that I didn't have as a kid, but I want them to have it. But more than that, man, I hope that I've got property, that I have some sort of physical wealth for them to pass on to them, even if it's not much, but if somehow it might ease their burden and give them a head start. Because why would I want them to not have a head start? Why would I want them to be at a disadvantage? That's not loving. That's not my role as a father. My, father is to give, my role as a father is to give them every advantage possible. And that's not wrong. It's not wrong to love my kids. I'm not stealing advantage from someone else to give it to my kids. I'm just teaching them. And part of that is teaching them how to care for those who are disadvantaged. To give money to the poor. To care for those in need. To pray for those in need. To seek out ways to be missional. And most of all, I want them to know the Lord now 
better than I, at their age, better than I did. And I want them to have the wisdom that I'm learning now at 37 before they turn seven. I want to teach them how to change their oil before they need me to jack up the car. They're so small they can get out of there and change the oil themselves. That's a good idea that I won't have to do it. But the point is, is that I want them to have all these skills that I've struggled to acquire myself, that they might have be in a better place than I am when it comes time to be my age. And thankfully, Mia says I'm not old. But a side note, why is it that public schools, and I prefer the term government school because you're thinking about it, it really is a government-funded school. And that's fine. I went to public school for high school, and I turned out great, right? But why does it teach so little about money? I remember learning about the denomination of money and how it works. I remember taking a class. Uh, it was an extracurricular class for, um, like it wasn't required, for economics. And we learned about the stock market. And we learned the technicalities of investing. Um, but I wish there was more of that growing up. Why does the government school not teach kids the most important things about living, about how to handle a checkbook or finances or investments or compounding interests? You know, my mom taught me about writing checks, not necessarily directly, but because I always saw her writing a check. Everywhere we went, she wrote a check. I think she's the last person on earth who still writes checks at the supermarket. But why do parents not always teach it? Is this a new thing? Is this something that's only been in the past decade or, I mean, sorry, century where parents haven't taught this? Is it any wonder why most people are in huge credit card debt, student loan debt, and don't have savings? Have we left those landmarks? Have this is where things should be at a certain point in your life? We now say, oh, you can be a kid until your 30s. I look back and I I was following the Lord and I, I don't know that I should have bought a house back then. I don't know that I could have. But I look back and I go, man, like, I want to teach my kids to learn how to invest and, and save. And they already have savings accounts at their age now. That way, that when they're 37 like me, they're not trying to scrounge money together. I know God will always provide, whatever the case may be. And of course he will because we're following him. But it doesn't have to be this way. There's nothing wrong with being wise and at least having that opportunity, whether God leads you to it or not. You know, we're not taught to value possessions or finances and how to be good stewards of them anymore. We live in a throwaway society where you need a brand new $1,000 iPhone every year. And people are starting to wake up to the fact that, no, they don't really need that. And Apple's bottom line is starting to hurt. But are we good stewards of these things? So much so that we can pass them on as an inheritance to our children? And somehow it's classified as evil to pass on that inheritance? You know, there's a current generation that lacks and is somehow lacking because the generation before them didn't give it to them. So they demand it from the government or from someone else who has it without working for it. They went to school. They pursued something that doesn't exist anymore because the foundations for it were removed. And they wonder why. So they blame greedy capitalism when I believe it was more greedy hippieism, if you can put it that way. Maybe we were far too liberal and we gave away too much that should have been conserved for the seven lean years follow the seven fat years. The cultural revolution of the baby boomers 
was all about removing the ancient landmarks. The kids who were born after World War II were coming of age during the 60s, and we all know how that went. They're about to celebrate that again in Woodstock, New York, this summer. I'm glad we don't live near there anymore. The traffic will be crazy. But they removed the cultural norms. They removed the quote-unquote shackles of lifestyles and of religion. Hard work, monogamy, morality, selflessness. I don't think there's a generation that would go to World War II again. Discipline, both of self-discipline and of the discipline of child-rearing. And today we see the fruits of the revelation have come to pass. My generation was left in a mess. We had no landmarks. God was not in school. There was no family at home to, to build up the wall and no inheritance to build and start a life on. Instead, we had drugs, emptiness, vanity of pursuits and pleasure. And the world drastically changed at the turn of the millennium. And now my generation is a generation of parents. And look at the kids of today whose parents had no landmarks and whose parents have set no boundaries for them. And this generation questions whether they're even a boy or a girl or a human. They proclaim what's wrong to be right because they have no landmark. They say that choice is life even if that choice takes a life. In fact, that that is the ultimate choice for them, and that must be championed as powerful. And that personal power that they believe is freedom is truly slavery. And that personal freedom, personal responsibility, personal rights is archaic. Isaiah 5, 20 through 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. We know this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. There's an ancient landmark that's been removed. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, brutal. Look at the news that all the kids that are going around beating up people in the streets. Maybe it's gang-related, I don't know, but it's brutal. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But there's a distinct difference there. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For this is the sort of those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We are always learning in the society, but the more we've so-called learned, the further we've gone from the truth. Because these are the last days. And make no mention that times are more perilous by the hour. Things are rotting. I've always said it. My wife and I have always talked about it, that even from the time when we were growing up in high school, and even there's an age difference in us, and between I was in school and she was in school, the rot is exponential. The curve is just, it's like king to God, six five great adventures, steep as roller coaster. It goes basically straight up at the end. And just read the news. Look at people's lives. The mindset of the culture. And even in the church in some cases. 
And I know this is a heavy message, but I believe it has to be said that we must restore the ancient landmarks. We must first do it in our own lives with prayer, worship, fellowship, Bible study, evangelism, the five spokes, so to speak, of Christianity. But from there, we should have career goals. We should have family goals, all in light of the Scripture, all in light of God's personal plan for each of us, and they should not take precedence over it. For those who seek after riches end up stabbing themselves through, the Bible says. But you know what? Solomon was rich. Abraham was rich. Because they sought God first. Jesus wasn't rich, and that's fine. That was a totally different call. I'm not saying rich in wealth is the success or the inheritance that any of us need. We will probably never have that, dude. I mean, look at the world. The, the stuff you could buy in the 50s, a house and a car and one income in a nice neighborhood where you didn't lock your doors. Well, you might be able to get that here in Montana, but mostly you probably had to be rich for your life and then retire out here. But sincerely, you, it's going to be harder and harder to find those things. So what instead? 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12 says, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business, I think it also means just gossip, but I think it also means to, if you can have your own business, if you can run your own side hustle, go for it. And work with your own hands. There's an honesty that comes to working with your own hands. There's an, a value to a dollar that you learn working with your own hands. And again, I only did construction for one week, but boy, that $10 an hour meant something to me, serious. I was even thinking the other day, I was thinking about getting something. I was like, well, how many hours would I have to work to do that? Like, oh, no, I don't want that. <laughs> but work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are on the outside and they may lack nothing. I think we lack so much because we're not aspiring to lead a quiet life because we're unwilling to tend to our own business. Whether that's your job as a career somewhere, whether that is your own business, it's between you and the Lord. And maybe we're unwilling to work with our own hands. Someone else should do it. Someone else can handle it. I tell you, I've learned a lot more mowing my own lawn than I have and a lot of other things in life. But how many people don't want a quiet life? They want the loudest, most audacious, attention-getting, power-hungry, YouTube subscriber, Instagram-like, money-overflowing life possible. And even then, what, do, what goals do today's Christians' kids have? Is it the same thing? Or is it to lead a quiet life and raise a family? No, no. I could I, get married and have kids. No way. That's ancient. That's archaic. That's boring. Is it? It is ancient. I don't think it's archaic. Maybe it's boring, but it's safe. It's good, and it lasts beyond this generation. It's the reason why this generation is poor. It's because we've the generation prior spent all of the morality. We spent everything away. We're being told it's wrong to live quietly. And yet, how many millennials, I just look at the memes, don't even want to leave the house? They've made plans and yet they don't want to go out with them. Or they've gone out and they've said, I wish I was just at home. Look at the binge-watching statistics. People are fine with being at home and on the couch. Because deep down, they really want it. Deep down, they really long for that quiet life. But they don't know how to have it. They can't afford to get it. They've got too much debt to leave their city life behind. 
And granted, I, you know, we're blessed to be able to come out here and work, work remotely. I don't know if we could have done it otherwise. God provided that way. So I'm not saying that from some perch. But the landmarks have been obscured. They've been changed. They've even been outlawed. Oh, deep down, I long for a quiet life, but that can't possibly be the answer for me. I must just need to go out and party more. You know, part of the call to Montana was this verse and the desire that it woke. I'm glad to see some of that out here, but even then, if you get closer to the cities, even the smaller cities of Montana versus New York or L.A., we see that creep of the city life in there. People escape the cities and they come out and they want to bring the city life here and they don't realize that that's what they're trying to escape in the first place. And there's a stark contrast in people's attitudes and desires and political leanings and even willingness to say Merry Christmas or not get mad if you do. But also in the church, Acts 2.42 and 43, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done to the apostles. That I believe the church needs to get back to this ancient landmark of Acts 2.42. Because the church wants so much of a light gospel, entertainment, smoke and light shows, sold out crowds, best-selling books, polished faces, and nice teeth. I can't afford nice teeth. <laughs> Someone wants to give me nice teeth. I'll take them though. But when God wants the ancient landmark of John the Baptist, Paul and Timothy, King David and Solomon, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Deborah, Ruth, and the other ancient landmarks. Men and women, children sold out to God, not seeking riches and fame, and number one on the Christian billboard charts, and God bless you if that's what you get for following the Lord, that's fantastic. I'm not, again, not trying to make a sweeping statement, but sincerely, is the church seeking the wisdom of God or trying to adapt the wisdom of the world to some Christian theme? Are we content to be in a small church or a big one? Are we content with an acoustic set or even a full worship set? Is God even there? Are we concerned that he's there or not? When we walk into a church or a small or big, are we looking for him? Or are we looking for us? I don't get it. I find landmarks moved and it makes me want to give up. It makes me want to pay out the remainder of this lease and go work with my hands quietly in the woods somewhere. But I know that that would be detrimental to my family and myself as well. But I know I'm not the only one who wants the ancient landmarks restored and protected. I know that's what God has for us, and I'm sure that we are, can't be the only one. In fact, we're probably one of the last ones to pick up that torch. But in the world too, education, government, politics, business, for one thing, the Constitution outlines inalienable rights given to us by our Creator. But we've erased the Creator, and so now we're trying to erase the inalienable rights. That only the government has rights, but the citizens do not. And yet, the modern thought thinks that these things need to be changed. That somehow, law-abiding citizens who are attempting to keep the ancient landmarks are somehow villains, terrorists, or crazy for simply wanting personal responsibility of their family, of their health, of their land, of their neighbors, of their country, of their livelihood. But the government somehow knows better can redistribute all these things better and manage them better 
and yet we claim democracy as king. And I know we're truly supposed to be Republican on democracy, but what I'm saying is that we seem to think in this day and age that personal responsibility is not champion, but that somehow government responsibility is the champion, the one that we need to turn all our rights over to. And we see that that's exactly what's going to happen. That the Antichrist is going to come and we're going to turn all our rights over to him. But you know what? That's really our deepest longing. It's not to have democracy. It's to have a king. But the only good king is God. The only one who we can turn over all our rights to and not be encroached on or thrown in prison or find ourselves wanting or lacking or in danger is Jesus. You turn all your rights over to any government, no matter how benevolent they seem, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And even a good social change will end up hurting the people in the end. Where else in life is it fair to punish, limit, and go after those who have done no wrong because someone else has? And we see that the rights of people, privacy, defense, and others, right to speech because someone else is offended by it or someone else is too afraid to handle it themselves. And so they're afraid of you who somehow have it together. Because the rules were fine. The rules didn't change, and the rules don't need to be changed. Things changed when we moved the ancient landmarks of personal responsibility, accountability. The rules were fine. School shootings didn't happen in society where God was feared and believed in. School shootings didn't happen when kids hunted with their fathers or were taught gun safety or the sanctity of life. Life isn't treated as sacred anymore, unless it's convenient or fashionable. Just look at the videos of kids online climbing these things and risking their lives for an Instagram picture and thinking that somehow this is exhilarating. They don't value their own life anymore. Kids are taught that they're an evolutionary accident and they have no intrinsic worth. In fact, we need to reduce the world population because of global warming. Well, I've got news for you. The world is not going to flood again. And I believe that's the heart of this global warming thing. Maybe it is getting warmer. But you know what? It's going to get a lot hotter during the tribulation. And let me tell you, it's not because of our cars, fossil fuels, or plastic straws. It's because of our sin. And even if God does use these things, and if there is global warming because of our actions... We're not going to be able to stop it. Because it's God's judgment. You know why I'm confident that the world's not going to flood again? And it's not going to get too hot for us before the tribulation? Because Genesis 8.22, God said right after the flood, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. We'll be able to do everything we are doing and continue to do it because it's an ancient landmark. But we've removed it. So now we're afraid of something that's coming. But you know what? I think the world believes these things because they know they deserve judgment. But because we've removed the ancient landmarks telling us why we deserve this judgment, what truly sin is, 
we begin to attribute it to other things and yet we still take credit for it. We still take credit for a judgment coming because we've done something, but we somehow think that's sort of something much less consequential than the effects of sin. But you know, the writer of Proverbs knew his scripture. Proverbs 23.10 says it again, do not remove the ancient landmark nor enter the fields of the fatherless. You know, that part of taking from others who are defenseless. That those who are caught up in power grabs have to move the ancient landmarks to get more power. Those ancient landmarks prevent power grabs. The Constitution prevents the government from having a power grab, having too much power. And yet, here we are. I think the ancient fathers who built those landmarks knew something that perhaps we should sit down and take a moment and consider. But even more that, the founding fathers of faith knew something even more consequential. That the fatherless are affected the most in inner cities and in suburbs. Where are hurting kids and hurting people? It's the ones in the broken homes. And why are the homes broken? Because boundaries were moved, removed, or crossed. God gave us the Ten Commandments for a reason. Not to be a bummer, not to be mean, but to provide protective boundary. Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. He's broken because the city needs this wall again. And so he's, he goes and he does it. But you know what? They had a sword in one hand and a tool in another because the people around them did not want them to rebuild the walls. The people around them did not want righteousness back in the land. And so they had to protect themselves while they built the wall. And you and I as Christians should protect ourselves physically, but most importantly, we need to protect ourselves spiritually with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That we need to be confident as we build the wall, as we rebuild our lives and our families and the church, that we're on the lookout for each other. That we're on the lookout for the world who we want to reach, but we can't reach them with broken down walls. Because if we care about the children and truly do, we won't be encouraging them to change who they are and explore how they feel because we know feelings lie. But we're going to do all we can do to protect who they're meant to be by setting boundaries, by restoring the landmarks. And we do that by knowing who he is and what he said from the beginning. And I think this is why the writer of Proverbs knew his scripture, because in Deuteronomy it says in the law, you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set, and your inheritance, which you will inherit from the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Inheritance is from the Lord. Promotion comes from neither the west or the east, but from above. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Do not remove the ancient landmark. I believe King David taught his son Solomon these verses. If not, Solomon was wise enough to search the scriptures for himself. And because Solomon sought wisdom, God gave him everything else, king's desire. Build your life upon the rock of Jesus and set the landmarks. Set the boundaries in life, what you will be a part of and what you won't be a part of. And you'll see your family flourish. You'll see your life flourish. You'll see your bank account flourish. Perhaps it won't be millions of dollars, 
but at least it'll be balanced, perhaps. Even if that balance is zero, it's balanced, and you're not a debtor enslaved to anyone. But sadly, I don't necessarily believe the towns or the country or the world that we live in will be rebuilt at the rate things are falling apart. I pray that they will. I desire that they do. I know that they will when Jesus comes back, that he'll rebuild everything and eventually recreate the entire universe. But that doesn't mean that I want to hasten their destruction. I've heard that so often that Christians don't get involved in their community or in politics or other things. And I get it. You know, perhaps it's too far gone in some places. And perhaps there's no control, but that doesn't mean that you can't try. And to just give up like that is, well, I think it's shameful. Or hastening the return of the Lord, you can't. Only the Father knows the day. But we should be about the salt of the earth to preserve it. Preserve it. But that must start with our families. We can't take care of others until we've taken care of our family. We must start personally because we can't take care of our family until we're spiritually in the right place. We can provide them spiritual refuge, having a relationship with our children and our extended families, working and seeking for personal independence to be able to provide inheritance for them, a part of a world falling apart. Where will they get it if we don't provide it for them in this day and age? That they might have the privilege when there's none to be found elsewhere. Talk about God providing. God gives wisdom to provide. Just look through the scriptures, such as Joseph. God warned that bad times were coming. So what do you do? You prepare. That our families might find refuge in us in all manners and may be able to meet each other's needs. That's not... That's primarily spiritually because the spiritual landmarks must be in place before any other building can be accomplished if the the laborers labor in vain it's not going to get built it needs to be built by the lord and that starts always with seeking god's provision his privilege because it's his desire to build individuals into families be fruitful and multiply families into churches and churches that impact their communities for this generation and the next and the next and the next until he returns. This could be the last generation, but if it's not, what are we doing about it? Like in Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. So get to work, but also get to serving. And it doesn't mean we'll have the classic American dream. Perhaps some of it is off. Perhaps some of it will never come back with the state of affairs in the world. But it does mean that we can live God's dream and if he's given us the opportunity, let, us, let it not be invaded by someone trying to remove the landmarks God has given us for this life. If God has blessed you with the opportunity to work or an opportunity to move or an opportunity to start a business or be promoted or provide financially for someone, that's not wrong. It is if it interferes with your relationship with God, but if he's provided it for you, use it to its fullest for the kingdom. Because most assuredly, John 10, 1 through 4 says, I, Jesus says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. The world is all about hopping over the wall and getting rid of the wall, but God comes through the door. That it's okay to have a wall. Just make sure there's a door. And I'll say this about immigration. I, I am fine with anyone coming to this country legally. Come here legally. 
do what you can. There are ways, and maybe those ways need to be reformed. But saying that there is no wall and no border is, is not going to help them in the long run. It's not going to help us either. But hear his voice to you today, the shepherd's voice, a voice of wisdom calling. Like Proverbs 120 says, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. And I'll make my words known to you that God wants you to know wisdom, wants you to have wisdom, and wants you to have the provision that comes from wisdom. Not health, wealth, and prosperity, but spiritual safety. And that comes through keeping the ancient landmarks. God, we pray that you would help us set up the landmarks and borders in our lives that protect us spiritually, that we would be involved in the things we need to be involved in, whether they're not sinful or not, God, that we don't want anything to do with them if they're not for us. God, that you protect our children and that you'd help us provide inheritance for them physically, but most importantly, spiritually, and the scripture and a legacy of faith, and that our grandparents and our parents would have provision in their old, old age that, Lord, they wouldn't have to work at Walmart, but if they do, that they would be cared for. God, we ask that you would just uh, be with the people of this valley and God, rebuild this nation one family at a time, we pray, God, through your spirit. Come soon, we pray, that we look forward to that day when we can uh, turn all our swords into plowshares and lay down like a lion with a lamb and not have any fear. In Jesus' name, amen.